and welcome to yet another episode of Hunter Gathers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson Stories. I'm your host, Curtis Robinson, and today we're talking with a bit of uh, Aspen, Colorado history. Uh, Dave Danforth is with us. Dave was uh, the longtime owner of the Aspen Daily News, not coincidentally where uh, I was editor in the 90s and actually was where I met Hunter. And um, let's just, there are many, many avenues we could tread, but let us just stipulate that he's a longtime friend and colleague of uh, Dr. Thompson. So uh, welcome, Dave. And uh, I guess as a first question, do you actually remember when you first met Hunter? Well, I want to say it was on an airplane somewhere, <laughs> you know, because that was the, the most fun uh, trips you could get with Hunter was uh, you got on an airplane because you always grabbed the last seat, you know, in the back of the bus where it was the bumpiest, right? And the other advantage you had is whenever you just were having so much fun bucking and bronking along, you could just yell yeehaw and everybody's out in front of you. Okay, so they're not freaked out behind you, and you can do basically whatever you want back there. <laughs> but that, that, that was, and Hunter would talk about there was a smoking section in those days, right? Yeah, yep, that was the days of smoking. And he would get um, constantly flagged by the flight attendants for smoking in the john. And during the times he would do that, we would you know, put on this little sketch, and, and I would look around at my friends say, did you guys see anybody smoking back here? No, we haven't seen anybody smoking back here. What could be going on? I mean, could there really be smoke here anywhere? Hunter, have you seen anybody smoking back here? And they just go crazy. <laughs> well, having flown with Hunter in much more restrictive times, that would have gotten us thrown off every airplane we were ever on, uh, even some of the private ones. But um, I wanted I wanted to ask you, you know, um, we are talking here. I wish we were down at, uh, at our headquarters at Lono Tiki Bar in Hollywood, but we'll, we'll have to settle up for phones. But we're talking just as the 2020 election campaign heats up. And so I wanted to sort of talk a little bit of politics, particularly Hunter's run for sheriff. There's a uh, uh, the famous run for sheriff in 1970, and there's a new film coming out uh, from... Robert Kennedy III, no less, uh, about that run for sheriff. And now that would be, that would have been well before your time. What were you, in 1970, you were what, eight, nine years old? Say again? In, in 1970, that would have been before your time in Aspen, probably, because you started the paper in 78, correct? Well, I, uh, yeah, I started the paper in 78 and I started rolling around there you know, around maybe 73, 74. But I remember the first time I ever visited Aspen. Now, you're talking a college kid just wandering through town. And there was this huge thing going on in one of the malls downtown. You know, a lot of people, a lot of hooting and hollering, a little drinking, and some megaphones and stuff like that. And I came to understand later that that was one of Hunter's campaign rallies. So that's so, really one of the first times I, I came in contact with him. Of course, he was pretty young, too, and running for sheriff, and the whole thing was very new. But that's that's where I I think I might have ran into him the first time was at one of those things. 
you know, I'm looking around saying, okay, take me to your leader. What's going on here? Where's the fun? Where's the action? You know, that kind of thing. And they're pointing over to there. Then there's this guy over in the corner, you know, who is castigating most of the local officials for whatever was in vogue that day. And that's where I met him. Well, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. And, and I always love to have things that are not widely known in Aspen proper, but, uh, I happen to know that you're not just a gentleman, but also a scholar. And what I would like to ask you about is you actually wrote, and I'll probably get this wrong, but a history paper when you were at Yale um, in That's the right. 90s. And we, we've talked about this before, but why, why, why would you, and it was about, well, tell, tell me what it was about. It was, it was about, the the uh, a series of elections that occurred right around the time of that same race and the reason the that I got interested yeah. yes was Hunters was one of a series of small races around the country where they were debating do we just drop out you remember what was going on back then I mean marches and a lot of people were were talking about just dropping out and forgetting about politics. But there was a counter debate that said, yes, we can go in and change the system. We can change it from within. And during that time, there were a bunch of local races just sort of popping up around the country. And one of these was the one that Hunter ran in for county sheriff. So, so where I became interested was, was not just that race, which was you could, you could write a magazine story about that. I mean, a lot of people did. But how it fit into the national movement um, and the debate about whether you drop in or drop out. How do you think it did fit into the national movement? I mean, in retrospect, it's it's easy to see from here. But uh, but what, how do you think it fit into the national movement? Well, I think that the, the, in each of these races, you know, were unique. So each of these races, people would kind of bump into each other and keep up but they would together they would learn new tactics they would learn new tricks you know they would learn ways to 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 fight it from the grassroots level up and, and a lot of them of course weren't successful but some of them were and if they weren't successful right away they changed life they changed politics so you you try it the first time and you 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 sweat yourself to death and you're not successful but what you don't realize is you've made a lot of progress. So, yeah, that's what we used to talk about that a lot. That Hunter would say we uh, we it was a battle on Aspen and, and we lost, but uh, we did not lose necessarily the war. Uh, no, he he certainly didn't because he in Aspen he was part of a movement. Okay, and that movement uh, came to the fore when two of its members got elected two years later in 1972. That that probably. Was it Edward? It was Joe Edwards that ran for mayor in '69, which That's cleared correct. the way for Hunter to run for sheriff in '70. But right. wasn't it wasn't Edwards? I mean, it was, a, and it was a more powerful position, I think. It wasn't mayor of Aspen; it was something else. It was uh, county commissioner. Yes, and one of three. Yeah, uh, one of three. That meant if you could put two people on the board, which they did, right? They took they took power overnight. And the county commission sounds pretty boring, but the county commission is what controls all the building and all the zoning. They can tell you what you can and can't build. 
Okay, so if you think as as Hunter and many people did that the greed heads were finding greed heads, you know, were were nesting in Aspen, getting ready to 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 take over the land and build mansions and stuff like that. You could, by getting two seats in the county commission, change that. You could really do that. You could go in, call for a vote, and do what they call down zone and change the zoning to make it more difficult to build large homes and huge mansions on these plots. So that instead of uh, having some great big thing with several brooks running through it and all that kind of stuff, you suddenly downsized. Um, and you were limited to maybe, I don't know, two or three bedrooms, and, you know, a bathroom. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine in Aspen always said, yeah, I always thought I'd live in a million-dollar home. I always thought it had more than one bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> the real estate prices in Aspen were, was it Mick Ireland who said the billionaires are forcing the millionaires down valley? So if you're giving the way back, Dave, and you go back to, uh, you're doing this paper for, for your history paper at Yale. You also own the local paper, which only seems weird if you don't know Aspen, but that, that kind of thing goes on there. So uh, w- did you interview Hunter for this? How did you go about getting any input from him on this? Well, you know, Hunter, um, you, you, you don't sit for a regular interview with Hunter. <laughs> at least I didn't, you know. Well, that's so we had it communicated <laughs> back and forth by fax usually meant these whole book of faxes, maybe 10 or 15 of them at a time that fly at you overnight, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Or, um, if you happen to get him on the phone, right. At a time he was being particularly talkative. Um, it's like press the button and away it goes. It was just great. You could have a storytelling session, and you just sit, you just sat there and listened. Well, what did what did he have to say about running for sheriff in retrospect? I mean, you're talking about 20 years after he had done it. Well, the idea was to to prove that you could seize power and effect change from the inside. Now, the, the important thing to know is in 1970, the sheriff of Aspen was a guy named Carol Whitmire, or sheriff of Pitkin County. And he was about as off the set of Bonanza as you can imagine. You know, old-fashioned, gun-toting sheriff, conservative, protect you know, protect the locals, but round up the hippies and stuff like that. So for for a guy like Carol Whitmire to face someone like Hunter Thompson, right, was just it was just two ends of the earth meeting in the middle. So it was going to be a lot of fun. You knew that right off the bat because you had polar opposites. There was no middle ground, you know, and it was just, uh, you were either embracing Hunter because Hunter was all about the future. You had no idea what he was going to do, but that didn't worry people because Hunter pledged that if elected, he would appoint a, a, uh, an actual operating sheriff to run the department, but he would be sheriff, so he could control all the policies and the politics and everything else. That's a, that's that's how he uh, proposed the management style. That's what made his campaign work. And he wasn't actually going to ride around and be sheriff himself, although he might pop into the office every now and then. You know, he was going to he was he was going to have somebody else doing the actual policing. Okay, but in terms of policies, you know what 
what crimes you considered worthy of busting, that kind of thing, right? Um, he would make those policies together with maybe a citizen's board and then have an actual sheriff hired professionally to run the office. So, so he wasn't, he was going to be sheriff, but he wasn't going to do the, he was going to have someone else run it, be the sheriff while he's the sheriff. That's right. He's going to have someone else do the policing while he did the, uh, you know, general policies. He wanted to do what he said he wanted to do. I mean, I had a whole platform of stuff, you know, um, plow up all the streets and that kind of stuff. Now, most of it was just kind of fun. You know, he wasn't going to do it. Right. But there were some things in there like bike trails and other things that were radical back then. Nobody ever heard of county commissioners doing trails for bicyclists. You know, oh, the damn bicyclists can build their own trails, that kind of thing. But, and of course, Hunter wasn't elected, but in 1972, when Joe Edwards was elected to county commissions, that's one of the first things he and his partner did was, okay, we're going to do bike. They even did EST seminar trainings as mandatory for incoming deputies. What, for, for deputies? Well, that happened in the future, yeah, because the, because the county commission ran the county. And, well, I guess so. Yeah, I guess they could. And 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 the uh, office of sheriff was a county seat, so they controlled it. So when you're doing when you're doing your paper, you're you're talking to Hunter. Uh, what was the re- what was the response from your professors and and the uh, establishment at the in the Ivy League when you when you said, "Oh, good news, we're gonna we're gonna write well, about Hunter Thompson." A lot of these professors knew his writing really well. I mean, they studied it. There were uh, the Yale Library is huge, and uh, a lot of his books, and there were a lot of magazine stories and everything. You, you had no shortage of ability to do research and read practically everything that had been written to date um, by Hunter or about Hunter, right? And so, um, my professor was a specialist on um, on drug culture, you know, the different phases of drug enforcement and and enforcement of, of all kinds of things having to do with the sheriff's office and substances. So he knew that end of it. And he was a, he was a doctor. He was trained as a physician as well, right? And, of course, he'd done all the reading, and he, he knew who Hunter Thompson was. And so I happened to let drop to him one day that, that that uh when i when i two days ago i mentioned a hunter that blah 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 and he stopped me he says what's this you mentioned a hunter do you know this guy and it was as if that that everybody thought that hunter thompson was this mythical character who didn't really exist right well you could, you could forgive someone for that thought yeah sure and he said he said you know this guy i said yeah we both live in aspen colorado we're both writers and then he, he said, I guess that's reasonable. I mean, so how do you communicate? And so one day I brought in these 15 pages of facts notes that, that Hunter had had taken off one night and decided I, I had asked him a whole mess of questions if you could answer them for me. I was getting ready to do the research in the paper. And I said, could you just answer these questions for me? 
right? And so in the middle of the night, three or four of those fax machines started squealing and it stayed that way for the next hour or two. And 15, 20 pages came out, right? And they were titled to me and the title was, where were you when the fun began? You know, and it was HST and his rememberings of some of the questions I'd asked him about about what it was like to to fight some of the early battles and stuff like that, and very specific questions and stuff like that. So, and it, he he had answered it by scrawling. This stuff was not typewritten; it was just scrawled, you know, and almost illustrated. I mean, it was pretty wild. He did but like to fun. draw. He did like to draw on his on his faxes. That's true. So I'll ask you, and I, I know we're we've been on this a little bit, but I'll ask you what what I get asked a bunch, given the uh, strange election cycle and a year that's been weird like no other. That uh, what would you? Uh, you must get this, but how do you answer the question of what would Hunter think about this political environment? And and before you answer, I'd also, uh, as an addendum to that, I would say that I happen to remember that. That Hunter's election, he lost by, I think, six or seven votes um, on the Edwards campaign. But uh, there were absentee votes that came in after the deadline that were not counted. <laughs> yeah, just saying, just saying, the, the more things change, the more uh, they stay the same. The more right? they stay the same, yeah. Uh, the way I'd answer that is to say, I don't know he'd do one or the other whether he would be hopelessly depressed as he was during many of the Bush years, you know, the country's gone to hell in a handbasket and we can't do anything about it. Let's just see if we can ignore it. Or the other end is he might be amused. I mean, there are so many things about what's going on today, which, which play off in terms of many plays, play acts, that are really more drama than they are reality, right? And he might have, um, I mean, we'll never know, will we? But he, he might have um, picked up on that because you have a lot more games being played today that are just kind of fascinating to watch. You know, we discussed a lot of them and we're going to see a lot before the selection's through. Um so I don't know whether he would be over the end just depressed and just don't bother me or whether he'd be just writing all the time because he'd be just this would really get him going. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, hatred was always a good motivation for him, you know, the, lo- the loathing part of fear and loathing. But, you know, yeah, I back yeah he, was, of- he was best when he was loathing. He was a good loather. <laughs> and uh, what some of the, the things he wrote about George Wallace? Back when Wallace, people forget that Wallace had won a couple states and was getting some momentum when he was shot. Yeah, you know, which is pretty startling. Um, but some of the things that he wrote about his ability to fire up a room when everybody else was just blah blah blah, his ability to tap into the frustrations of America. I mean, it's really it's not. I'm not the only person that says that. There was a a, a great piece, and I think the Nation. Uh, about this very thing that he saw this populism coming, um, and he may have been surprised that it took it this long to manifest. I think he was tapping into the power of the demagogue. That he was worried about that, which is interesting because because George uh, W. Bush was not a demagogue. 
or his dad. They were, I, I would not categorize those guys as dumb cooks compared to what we're now seeing, you know, obviously. Um, well, George W. Bush had been to a Hunter Thompson Super Bowl party. It's hard to imagine that Donald Trump would have ever been at a Hunter Thompson Super Bowl party. But when he was in Texas, George W. Bush went to one of Hunter's uh, Super Bowl parties. I think the Super Bowl in, I want to say Houston. Uh, there's a great piece you can find online that Douglas Brinkley wrote for The New Yorker about that. And it's not to be missed. It's an obscure piece, but a good one. But anyway, I, I'm sorry, I digress, which I sometimes do. But uh, uh, go ahead. What, what, do you, what do you think he would make of the Black Lives Matter and all this? I mean, when you, when you read about the 68 protests in Chicago that sort of made him into Hunter Thompson in some ways, what do you think he would make of all this? I think he would take them apart and tell individual stories. Because that's what Hunter was really good at. You know, he could draw uh, conclusions, right? But he really enjoyed getting getting down to where the dirt and the gravel met in the road. And he would use a an example that the rest of us had missed about somewhere in East Oshkosh. And he would write that up. And we'd all read it with bug eyes because we never heard of this particular episode before. And I, I'm just now I'm just guessing this is how he, he if he was writing about it or handling it today, I think that's how he'd do it. So he would take one particular race and maybe get involved in it or research it. And sure, that's and, exactly what he did on, on the campaign trail. He he didn't write about candidates, he kind of joined the McGovern campaign. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you got to ride the bus. Yeah, McGovern lost 49 states. Not good. <laughs> not good I'm, at all. Yeah, I'm, not I'm, saying, from, I'm not saying because of that. I'm just saying that, you know, Hunter didn't pick him because he thought he would win. He picked him because he thought he was he would have been great for America. Yeah, I'm from Massachusetts, so I can relate to that. Yes, yes, the, the one state he didn't get, right? One state, right McGovern, one state McGovern got. Don't blame <laughs> me. I'm there used to be those bumper stickers, Massachusetts, America's conscience. Well, there was a bumper sticker. Don't blame me. I'm from Massachusetts. Oh, there you go. Same thing. Same thing. Well, look, uh, I have to ask you, do you still have the uh, the faxes that Hunter sent you, particularly you know, the ones about the sheriff's race and all that? They're somewhere with my paper. I mean, I, I submitted those as exhibits with the paper. Just because I thought my professor might enjoy them. The if paper you did them. it, yeah. Yeah, I did it. They were just kind of, you know, you wrote the paper. The paper was a, a history paper at Yale, and you don't get points for uh, writing wonderful magazine pieces when you're in, at the, uh, that kind of institution. They're serious about the study of history, right? So when you want to include something that's colorful, you, just, you throw it in there as a, you know, as an add-on, as a footnote. So, so you still have that uh, somewhere? A pile of paper, sure. There's somewhere. <laughs> well, when you when you when you find them, will you come back on and uh, uh, maybe we can post some of them and uh, uh, see see what they see what they uh, say from all that time. Sure. Yep. 
Okay, so that's it for another episode. I'm sorry, Dave, we've run out of time, as so often happens. And uh, I, again, I can't wait to get out to uh, Los Angeles to go down to uh, the Lono Tiki Bar, our home in Hollywood. And uh, we will rally up in person, maybe, if, if we can, if they ever, ever, this virus ever goes away. For sure. Okay, thank you, and goodbye. Well, the southern gentleman hit the highway and gave us stories we could share of crooked schemes and shattered dreams of people everywhere. Road of whiskey screams and motel rooms where no one seemed to care. Road of deep, dark, secret places made us feel that we were there.